This is On The Grid, powered by theracetalk.com on mypodcasthouse.com. G'day everyone and welcome to another episode of On The Grid here on mypodcasthouse.com or on the radio show Limited's RS1. Thank you for joining us this week. A big show coming up. We'll speak to Beric Linton about the upcoming Bathurst 6 Hour. Should be a ripper event up at Mount Panorama this weekend. Look forward to speaking to him. Mark Walker also to join myself and Richard Crowell for a bit of a chat. But as always, we kick off the show with the latest news. And we do say the latest news because this news has actually come to us after our recording. We normally record on Tuesday night, Melbourne time. This news coming through at lunchtime on Wednesday that supercars have now postponed the Tasmanian Super Sprint, which was scheduled for a fortnight's time. The third event of the 2021 Repco Supercar season has now been moved back one week to April 17-18. This is, of course, due to the COVID-19 situation up in Queensland, where Brisbane has been put into a local lockdown, which it's currently serving at the moment, and also the possibility of that lockdown being extended over Easter. So unfortunately for Triple Eight, they were unable to get out of there without having to quarantine. And the same with the other Queensland teams, they probably would have had to have quarantined down in Tasmania for 14 days. And uh, that is not going to happen. So the uh, Supercars looking at moving that event a week in the hope that uh, the lockdown situation in Brisbane and possibly even the Gold Coast will be up and over and Tasmania will lift its quarantine uh, restrictions around people travelling in from those areas. So that is the big news of the week so far, is that the Tasmanian Super Sprint has been moved a week, a week later, April the 17th and 18th. Tickets, if you've purchased tickets for next week's event, those tickets will be valid and will move to the weekend after. Hopefully you'll be able to get along. The statement coming through from Supercars, basically saying that uh, in the light of the current COVID-19 situation in Brisbane, Supercars has made the precautionary decision to delay the upcoming Bow Repairs Tasmania Super Sprint by one week. The event will now be held across the weekend of 17-18 April. All tickets already purchased will remain valid for those new dates. As has been the case since the onset of COVID-19, staff at Supercars and race teams will comply with all applicable government regulations in travelling to and staging the event. Supercars thanks all fans for their ongoing patience and apologies of any inconvenience caused. We look forward to welcoming everyone to a safe event in Tasmania in the coming weeks. Of course, that COVID situation in Brisbane also affecting the uh, AFL and also the NRL in uh, its games with Brisbane having to stay in Melbourne for an extra fortnight and the Gold Coast team being taken out of the Gold Coast before restrictions may be placed there and uh, we'll be looking at also staying in Adelaide for a couple of weeks as well. Okay, let's have a look at what happened over the weekend in Formula One in Bahrain as we say day to our F1 correspondent, Dale Rogers. G'day, Dale. Yes, thanks, Tony. The 2021 Formula One World Championship fired up in Bahrain last weekend, the third Grand Prix to be held there in just four months. But was it a case of another Grand Prix in Bahrain slipping away from the dominant driver? Just as George Russell saw his race disintegrate back in November when he subbed for Lewis Hamilton, Max Verstappen came oh so close to winning on Sunday. He dominated practice and qualified on pole by over four tenths from Lewis Hamilton, who was steadily improving the Mercedes-Benz. And what a race it was between these two. 
the first instalment of what could be the best battle in a long, long time in Formula One was won in sensational style by Lewis Hamilton and his Mercedes-Benz. Qualifying definitely confirmed what testing had suggested, as we spoke about a few weeks back, that the Red Bull RB16B Honda was the fastest car. Mercedes were next, though, by some margin. Rule changes to the floors of the 2021 F1 cars saw the Mercedes duo of Toto Wolff and Lewis Hamilton claiming they were 100% aimed at Mercedes, as saw theirs and the similar concept Aston Martin, previously the racing point, impacted quite heavily upon. The high rake chassis of the likes of Red Bull have not been affected. Added to that, the gains the Honda Power unit have made for Red Bull and for Alfa Tauri, and they are now right in the mix. But it was a fascinating strategy game. Verstappen was effectively fighting two Mercedes, which could be used tactically against him. His new teammate Sergio Perez had failed to get into Q3 and had a disaster on the formation lap with the car quitting altogether. Somehow got it back to the online by resetting it and started at the end of the pit lane. Verstappen was left to fight the bulls on his own as Perez drove a fine race through back to fifth. But Mercedes chose a bold strategy. They called in Lewis early to make this a, a stop to steal track position for Verstappen, knowing that would make for an extreme challenge of getting the next two sets of tyres to cover a lot of laps. And this track punishes the tyre performance every lap. As soon as they found the gap to drop Hamilton back in, they called it. He made his, the hard tyre live while just staying out of Verstappen's turbulence and driving to the gap the team had set him. Red Bull didn't respond at that point. The place was already lost as soon as Hamilton had pitted, but they couldn't stay out too much longer because then Verstappen would lose a further position to Bottas, who again was brought in a lap 16. Verstappen rejoined on his new mediums around six seconds behind the hard-shot Hamilton and set about closing the gap down. He was just about to be within undercut range of the Mercedes by lap 28 when Mercedes headed that off by bringing Hamilton again. A great cat-and-mouse game that would last until the very end when Verstappen closed in on Hamilton and made a very bold move at turn four for the lead. Australian race director Michael Massey had made a very clear decision that over the white line at turn four was not on, so Verstappen had to redress and let Hamilton back into the lead rather than cop a penalty. He just had nothing left in the tyres, and Hamilton, who had driven with perfect judgment and precision, was off the hook. Hamilton drove a superb race, fast and tactical, to grab the win. A long way back was Bottas. Norris took the best of the rest in the McLaren, um, and Mercedes and was fourth. Of the rest, the Alpha Tauri may be the next quickest car, uh, but they certainly underdelivered. Formula One debutant Yuki Tsunoda had been sensationally quick through practices, sliding the car around like a sprint car through the turns of the Bahrain circuit, but he just didn't seem to adapt that well to the, car, the various tyres on the car. But certainly he will be a major contender this year and great to watch. For our own Daniel Ricciardo, uh, he was hit by Gasly very early on and the team had subsequently uh, commented that there was damage to the floor of the car, which suggests why he just could not close that gap down to his partner uh, in uh, Lando Norris. Ferrari looked to be in better shape this year. Uh, Leclerc drove very, very, very well and made uh, after a great qualifying lap. Uh, to grab a spot. Also, uh, I think Fernando Alonso's race comebacks worth a mention. Uh, qualified in the top 10, looked pretty feisty, uh, and actually ended up getting uh, a DNF with a brake duck overheated by some get, uh, debris getting into the brakes. Um, and of the rest, yes, well, you can probably talk about Haas. Uh, Nikita Mazepan was consistently off the track, and Lewis Hamilton said there is no reason to be throwing the car at the scenery on lap one when you're driving the slowest car. 
So, Tony, a fantastic opening race in Bahrain, and uh, I think we are in for a stellar season. We did comment that rule stability improves the racing. It looks like this year it will. Back to you on the studio, Tony. Thanks, Dale. Moving on to MotoGP news, and Yamaha's Maverick Vinales has ended Ducati's run in Qatar by winning the Grand Prix and landing his ninth career MotoGP victory. Vinales took the lead on lap 15 from Bagnaia after almost making contact with him in the previous lap. After that, Vinales was relentless, holding on to first place. The Spaniard ecstatic with his win. Overall, so good. It was a fantastic weekend. I can say nothing more, just to say thank you to all, to all my family, especially my my really, my really uh, close family that you know now, uh, like my wife, is, we, we are waiting a baby and you know all these results are amazing, everything is good, we are really blessed and just say thank you, I'm really thankful for everything it's done now. Chiquetti has won the last two Qatar Grand Prix, courtesy of Andrea Divizioso, but we're almost 1.1 seconds off the pace this year with Frenchman Johan Zarco. Rounding out the podium was the other Ducati rider in Francesco Bagnaia, who pipped current world champion Johan Mur, who had to settle for fourth. In Supercars news, Dean Fiore will partner Todd Hazelwood for Brad Jones Racing at this year's Bathurst 1000. The 37-year-old endurance specialist will be competing in his 13th Bathurst 1000 and is looking forward to the race. Scans on Shane Van Gisbergen's broken collarbone have belatedly revealed he also cracked three ribs in his mountain bike accident. Van Gisbergen found that's just amazing. I can't believe it. Van Gisbergen found out this when uh, visiting his surgeon last week. Thankfully, he didn't do any further damage to his collarbone by racing at Sandown. Dave Reynolds, who finished third at the final race at Sandown, says Kelly Grove Racing Team will investigate how fumes got into his cabin. Reynolds battled fume uh, inhalation during the first of the two sprint races last Sunday, which he claims made him feel nauseous and gave him a bad headache. Not surprised. A helmet fan malfunction in the second race was believed to be the contributing factor. Reynolds had to be treated for breathing difficulties and burning eyes before he cleared to rejoin the race. And speaking of malfunctions and failures, Bryce Fullwood had his own difficulties during Sandown after suffering a window wiper failure during the early phases of the Sandown Super Sprint finale. The Wilkinshaw Andretti United driver revealed he had no idea where he was at one stage due to all the spray. Also considered uh, Fullwood... Uh, and also considered Fullwood said he's happy to be currently placed 12th in the championship. And lastly, it's been revealed that ratings have soared for this season's supercar season. The season opener at Bathurst received good ratings following its return to the Seven Network and Sandown following suit. The Sandown event averaged 166,500 viewers on Foxtel, which marked a 35% increase on round two from last year. The dramatic race four on Sunday saw 174,000 tune in, which is the largest audience for an exclusive race event since the 2019 Sandown 500. The event drew a large crowd a larger crowd than all three AFL games broadcast on Foxtel that Sunday. That is the news. Let's get straight into the show. This is On The Grid on mypodcasthouse.com. And joining me as he does all the time at the start of the show, off the back of the news, is Richard Crowell from the Race Talk. Hello, Krause. Hello, Shebexter. I'm looking forward to this weekend. I've got to tell you, this is one of my favourite weekends. Most people like being at home with their friends and family for Easter, but I don't. Seriously, I don't. I enjoy being at Mount Panorama. Um, It's the spiritual home of Australian motor racing, and over Easter, it's even more spiritual because we get the high-tech oils back to six hour. Um, I've been fortunate enough to be involved in this event as a six-hour race since 2016 when it started. Before that is the Bathurst Motor Festival, which dates back to... When the 12-hour moved to February, the Motor Festival then started up again in, in Easter. So 
it's a great tradition. I really love being in Bathurst this time of year. The weather's always generally spectacular, beautiful, clear, crisp mornings, warm days, a um, little bit of rain throwing in, but I can't wait. It, it's a great race, the six-hour, massive field, really diverse group of competitors involved as well, including our first guest who's had a great track record there. And um, But we've got Super Cheap Auto TCR running for the first time, GT cars. We missed the 12-hour, so we're going to get a fix of those as well, which is cool. Um, and, yeah, it's just a really cool, relaxed, laid-back meeting at the very best place in the entire world, Bathurst. And while the Bathurst 500 was nice, there's just something about an endurance race at the mountain, isn't there? Yeah, one single endurance race that takes half a day. Like, that's what you want, isn't it? Yep. So, you know, six hours is a good distance. Um, I think we cracked the 500-mile mark in 2019, actually, when a distance record was set in this race. So, yeah, it is, mate. It, it, it harks back to the traditions of Mount Panorama, and, and racing at Easter goes back to 1938. April 16, 1938 was the first ever official race meeting at Mount Panorama, and that was Easter that year. The track was opened a month earlier. So it's a historic part, and and then the production car side goes back to the roots of the Bathurst 1000 with series production in the 60s and early 1970s before the Group C cars. So, yeah, it's a cool weekend, mate, and really looking forward to getting stuck into it. So, Richard, this man's just arrived at Bathurst only a few minutes ago. Beric Linton, I'm wondering whether you got there and opened up your eyes and thought, oh, my God, how good is this? Oh, mate, it's always great to come back to Bathurst and, uh, you know, I've had good results here and I've had not so good results here, but to, to arrive here now and obviously be earlier than anticipated just to do the COVID stuff. But it's nice to be back and, uh, you know, coming back after winning it when we were last year, it's a good feeling. Uh, nice answer, Bez. It's almost like I had a chance to rehearse that. Um, mate, let's go back and look at 2019 because you and, and Timmy Lay, you dominated really. You led every lap. You won by a lap. It, it was the complete... Bathurst performance just before we dive into this year's race just take us back to 2019 and how successful that year was for you and it probably honestly started in 2018 mm. um you know we we built that car at the end of 17 we brought it down to challenge Bathurst ran some laps Tim did a cracking time when it was still half a road car with um half you know with with Road car exhaust, no diff, things like that. And um, then we uh, came here in 2018. We were leading the race when we lost a wheel mm. uh, with about 23 minutes to go. You know, the car was had just been prepared so well. So we knew what we had to do. We went home and we made some changes and came out with version two and probably then version three of the rear end that supports a wheel and, you know, it's part of the floating disc and stuff and the hat. And, um, you know, we came here in 19, as you said, look, the weekend ran smoother. We had an issue in practice one. We found it, we fixed it. And then after that, the weekend just ran so well. The safety car dropped for us right at the right time in that first stint. Um, you know, the car was, there was a car in the wall at Forest Elbow. The boys called me and I said, nah, we've got enough fuel for three more laps. Let's stay out, see if they deploy a safety car. They did. Mm. That just put us in a great position to, you know, to have all of our competitors basically lap down for the rest of the day. And that's where we we kept it. And obviously that race ran green for other than I think 10 laps. So yeah. we did 813 kilometres and however many laps that was. Yeah. Um, mate, the front and right pad had 
point zero 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 one of a mil left on it. <laughs> no, gee whiz. <laughs> so we got home, and I think Aaron's still got that. Who preps the cars? He's got that in his uh, in his toolbox. One day he says he's going to put in a picture frame. Yes, that's remarkable. Talk about the challenges of this race because it is production cars and, and yes, there are some freedoms these days with what you can do. And and I know you and your long history with the BMWs, it's always been electrical that you've been fighting, I remember, from a long time back and trying to get the, the ECUs to stop going into limp mode and things like that. But what, what are the biggest challenges when it comes to building cars, in particular for this race, but broadly for production car racing? I think that the... You know, you, you're asking production cars, and that's what they all start life as a production car. You know, we're now probably all lucky enough we're buying stat write-offs instead of new cars and turning them into race cars. But, you know, as you said, it's the electrical component tree. But this car, this F80 and the F82, the M3 and the M4, probably share a lot back in the day that the E46 M3 had. Yep. There's two different wiring looms, one for all the audio and stuff, which you don't need. So you don't have as many modules in the car that are talking to each other and they're always all talking to each other and looking for each other. And when they don't find something they don't like, that's when you go into limp mode. Mm. So it can be the strangest thing that sends one of these cars into limp mode, but that's the challenge with these cars because there is no manufacturer support to wipe modules out and stuff. Mm. Um, so, you know, you, you, you do what you can in terms of the engines are standard, the intercoolers are standard, the turbos are standard. You're adding a long-range fuel tank, suspension, you know, slightly bigger brakes, but all your discs and all these things have measurements that are meant to be within within the standard road car version that you're allowed to run. So, you know, it's just getting it all right and taking your time to build them. Aaron's just finished the M4, which um, is Shane Smolin's car that he'll share with SVG and Rob Rubis. So that's our customer car for the weekend. We ran it two weeks ago at QR before Shane drove at Sandown and we saw a great, you know, weekend by him. Yeah. Mate, that car ran 300Ks first time on the track. Wow. Approximately. Wow. You know, and the only thing that didn't work was the fuel counter. <laughs> so, you know, oh, the demister didn't work when it rained, but <laughs> it had blown a fuse. So, you know, but, yeah. and that's the effort that's put in by my team and especially Aaron to make that happen. And that's how my car has just been pulled apart again after Sydney. We've looked at it with service stuff. We work closely with Glenn Seaton on our shocks. He's looked at them, serviced them back in the car down here. And, uh, you know, I guess we choose to run Class X. It's a bigger budget. They're faster cars. They're more expensive to build, you know, whereas you've got cars all the way down to Class C, and that suits those guys' budgets. They get to come here. They get to have so much fun mm. with their mates, racing at Bathurst, and then you've got the spread in between, 62 or 64 of them this weekend, yeah, and it's going to be great. An amazing size field. Berg, just on your car, the M3, the Sherons have had a fair bit of success in the last couple of years with the M4, and you mentioned that you've got the customer car as the M4. Have you thought of upgrading your ride to the M4 at any point, or are you just that happy with the M3? And I love the M3. Like, I sold, or our family sold our BMW dealership in 2016, in July. And we'd had the 1M. The 1M was for sale. And we were like, what do we build? We're now not compelled to build a BMW that we've built for the last 20 years. 
what were we built? And we looked at the rules, we read the rules, we went over and over and we looked at the, the 3E rules, you know, from Motorsport Australia and stuff like that. And for me, the best car to build for this category was an M3 competition pack. Mm. The M3 competition has more boost as a standard car than an M4. The M4 competition pack doesn't make the $150,000 cutoff. So I'm thinking we've got more boost in the Sharons. Yeah. yeah. Unfortunately, that's not reflected in my recognition document. I was never given the extra boost. Oh, right. Um, I've got the same as them, but, right. you know, that's, that's the way it is. So, I, I, look, I, I, I like the look of the M3 for the boys. It's a bit easier to work on with four doors. Um, and I think, again, having taken that M4 out and having a drive of it, I did the first five laps in it the other day at QR before handing it over to Shane. Small and as a car owner, car's the same, yeah. handles the same, drives the same, does everything the same. But it's a different, slightly different setting position when you look at it from through the doorway. Yeah, okay. You know, and those blokes, not SVG, but the other two are having a bit of trouble with the seat that they've chosen and the space that's between the new bars and your roll cage. You've got to have things like that. So, you know, we've got to go back and look at that for them now. And we've brought another seat down for them to try because it's. The seat is further forward in the doorway than what it is in an M3. Mm. Um, you've also got another car that you're looking after that you've prepped for this weekend for, for a familiar name for fans of the great race, the October Bathurst 1000 in Steve Ellery and his two kids, Tristan and Dalton. So that that's a really cool thing as well, mate, to have those guys as, as part of the enterprise. Oh, mate, absolutely. You know, Steve and I have been mates for a long time and, um, you know, his family's big supporters of the Gold Coast Suns back home. And I've been involved with the Suns for many years, and uh, we ran into each other in the in the corporate area. And uh, I think I took the Mickey out of him and said, "Mate, I've won Bathurst." He goes, "Well, I haven't, so go away." <laughs> um, you know. And then we were talking. He says, "You know what? One day I'd love to do that with my boys." Yeah. And I said, "Oh, that'd be great." And then just over twelve months later, we're sitting down. I was talking to his father, Bruce. And we were talking about it, and then we put the deal together where the boys ran last year in Queensland stuff. Yeah, you know, getting them out of karting and stuff, and uh, mate, they did they did so well, both of them. Uh, they're both quick. They took on board stuff from Steve, from me, from Ralph Bellamy, our engineer. They worked with Aaron, you know, just sponges. And so then it led to them sitting down and talking about the six hour and if they wanted to do it and if they were ready and. You know, it's come off, and when I'd entered the car, we were in final stages of agreeing, so I put it as TBC. So you can imagine I had a lot of other inquiries from a lot of other blokes who drive V8s. Yes. Uh, and others as well, trying to get it. But by that time, when it had come out and they saw it, we had done the deal with the Ellery's. And, you know, to put Steve in the car, and I said to Bruce at QR, I said he'll do a lap time on lap four. Yeah. Bruce looked at me and said, mate, disappointed you got it wrong. I said, which lap was it? He goes, lap five. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and then we took him to SMP. Yep. And all three of them ran it again. We just used that as a test for this. And, you know, he, he came in and he's smiling and he's like, I remember this track now. I remember this. You've got to do this. You've got to do that. And it all just comes back to him. And it's going to happen here at Bathurst. Yeah. He's, you know, and, and for those two boys that have never been here, to have him in their corner along with the rest of the team, but to have him here telling him how to put the car, where to place it, what to do, mm. 
they, they can't learn from anybody better. Yeah. His track record there is surprisingly good. Like three podiums in the 1,000 from 20-odd starts is, is a super performance. So and, and twice for his own team, which I, I love. Hey, um, you touched on the fact that the field is very, very competitive this year. And, and the size is one thing and the class battles are another. But Class X has exploded. There's a group of seven BMWs and the one HSV, which will have John Bow up behind the wheel alongside Tony Virag, which is, it's always a fast car, whether it goes the distance, I don't know, but JB will extract a lap time from it. No doubt. Does, does JB have any good driving statistics? Though? Like, you uh, know. Oh, mate, I don't know. You know, he, he'll get there eventually. You think with JB. <laughs> Just, I think I think I think you'll bash a timeout probably on lap four. Yeah, it might be lap three <laughs> actually. Knowing that bloke, it, yeah. it's a remarkable story. Hasn't you, been, been to Bathurst that often, has he? No, no, no thirty no. years. You know, forty probably. Um, <laughs> so I mean that it's remarkable, but it's a really strong field, and and there's some big guns in alongside you and and Tim, mate. Um, so ruling out, of course, the Van Gisbergens and the Slade, who are going to be outrageously fast, no doubt. Who do you and Dave Russell? Of, Oh yeah, Coity, absolutely. You, you look at him two years ago, what he did in that one three five. Yeah, well, they finished on the podium outright, didn't they? In that thing? No, they got pipped in the last twenty oh, minutes. They did I think. Too. Yeah, yeah, they won their class you know, by mile. But yeah. what he pulled out of that car, mm. that just shows you the quality of a driver he is too. So he's and he's, he's had experience on the MRFs. Yeah. He's run a production car around here. You know, Slade hasn't had a good run in the cars that he's been in the six hour in. No, he hasn't. All the twelve hour, for that matter. All um, the twelve hour, and and SVG. Mate, can drive anything. Yes. But hasn't driven the M4 around here yet and hasn't driven MRFs around here yet and has done about a couple of handfuls of laps maybe on MRFs. Yeah, with a broken collarbone. With a broken collarbone to boot. <laughs> having said that, Shane, uh, having watched him for the last couple of years, he'll jump in that. He'll probably do a lap time on lap two, knowing the way he drives. Um, Tell oh, me great. about... Tell me about Tim Lay, mate, because Timmy is one of the most underrated drivers in our sport and continues to be so, I reckon. He's an outstanding driver. He's a terrific bloke. But every year he gets dusted off, does a couple of races, and in every single one of them he's outrageously fast. Absolutely. I mean, he's so he's, he's underrated. He was borderline V8 supercar driver. Mm. Um, you know, didn't get the call up and then turned away from motorsport and, went and ran the family business. Um, you know, I think the story is something like Garth Tanner was his mechanic in Formula Ford. Yes. In WA. Yeah. Um, you know, and he knows he knows he's 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 mates with all the older crop of the V eight guys. Like SVD doesn't know who he is and what he's done yet. Maybe he does, maybe he's done a bit of research, not sure. But he knows Wing Cup. He's good mates with Will Davison. He's good mates with Alex Davison. Mm. You know, he knows the Kelly boys, they all drop into his house when they're here. The Tanders go and, and they see all him. Rate him. As a driver. And they, they all rate him. Mm. And, mate, the bloke's driven everything, you know, from Formula Fords to Formula Holdems. He's got Formula Holdem lap records nearly probably at every circuit in the country. I think he's still at SMP and other places. Mm. You know, I remember doing a mini challenge here with him and I said to him, mate, what are you doing across the top? And he's like, from the cutting, mate, you just pull gears and keep it flat till we get <laughs> to, to the skyline. Yeah. And I'm like, what? And he goes, yeah, just keep it flat. Trust me. <laughs> And I'm like, you're a used car salesman. I'm not sure I want to trust you. <laughs> but, you know, we, we get along. We're, we're mates. We've been mates for a long time. We've been in the same industry, obviously. Mm. Um, but the bloke, he can steer. And, you know, if we've got the car in a position on Sunday afternoon to be contenting, you know, in contention with these blokes that are obviously gun drivers that are still driving V8s, Tim can hold his own. 
And yeah. I have every confidence that if we're there or thereabouts, he's going to give it a red hot crack that we can, you know, hopefully be the first people to win two in a row, let alone back to back. Yeah. And be, you know, make it number five for BMW. Yeah. Just a quick one, boys, before we let you go, Berko. Who Did you mention that it's Class X? Didn't it used to be Class A? Yeah, so they've punted us into Class X. They've created our own class. Okay. Um, which I think is, is, is fine, but the part I just don't understand and a lot of us don't just at the moment. And ARG is, hasn't come in and rewritten everything. They've just wanted to see how it goes. And obviously their first attempt last year got cancelled. Um, we're not sure what we've got BOP. So we've got... In 2019, because of Tim's qualifying lap. So in 2018, the M3s and the M4s all got a ride height, 20 mil ride height adjustment before the race. 2019, we as an M3, because we're the only M3, we got a fifth pit stop, BOP. Mm. Now, this is both of those years we also had reduced boost. This year, we come in with the same reduced boost, but all of Class X get six mandatory pit stops. Yeah. So CPS pit stops being At two minutes, seconds. I think it is, from pit seconds. entry to pit mm. exit. Mm. So that's where the Mustangs become the you know the sly dark horses, especially with some of the combinations like Kostecki, Morris, and Medecki. You know, even Denier and Quinn and Miles. You know, they're going to be there or thereabouts because yeah. they've only got to do four stops. Always an interesting race to uh, to follow. There's no doubt about it with so many cars and so many different classes. And it's always good to see passing and all that sort of stuff happening at, Beth- at Bathurst. Beric, we really thank you for your time today. Really appreciate it. Enjoy your time up there, mate, and enjoy uh, the race on Sunday. Thank you very much. Looking forward to it. Beric Linton joining us here on The Grid. All right, joining us now for a chat, Crowsey, is Mark Walker, a man who has been very much a part of the Bathurst Six Hour in the past as his uh, role as a pit lane reporter for the coverage. Hello, Mark. Hello. I'm benched. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, network TV. Yeah, I understand these things. Yeah, it happens. Pretty low in the pecking order, but that's okay. Uh, love the event. Can't wait to tune in to the screens of seven. Uh it's the right length. I think the 12 hour, it's it's a bit long, especially for production cars. It just drags on and on and on. Did I just show you a shake of the head from Crowley there? No, no. Listen. No, no, for production cars. For production it, cars? Oh, without I a doubt, for production, yes. Mm. I, I think it's just the right length to get it done. It's You can cover enough miles. You Look at the entry. It's immense. I mean, I think that's going to be the problem with this event is that there's so many entries, you're going to get those safety cars. Mm. Even if it's not mass carnage, like we haven't ever seen mass carnage in the six hour. There's a lot of little breakdowns. You just have a car parked in the wrong spot in the track and they have to bring in a safety car and that'll slow it all down and just rinse and repeat throughout the day. It's hard to, to really get a rhythm going in a lot of these six hour races because there's just so many cars out there, but that's the good thing. I mean, people, rabbit on about how they love production. You know, supercars should be more production-based. And here we go. We've got a production-based race. It's got 60 cars at Bathurst. Get around it. Go out there and enjoy this thing because this is what you want. Correct. That's the big thing. But then they'll find a way to complain about that as well and the regulations or whatever. So you can't keep some people happy. But you're right. um, It is a really cool race. The the thing I love most about this race are – the stories of 
you know, the back market team running a Suzuki Swift that just pound around all day and win their class and they're the happiest people in the world yeah. because they've won a Bathurst race and they're on that podium on Sunday evening with a trophy being celebrated by 27 people down in, in the yeah. lane because everyone else is going That's It's great, isn't it? Class e. they, they finished are, 37 laps behind the winner, yeah, but they won matter. their class. Correct. It doesn't matter. It's like the kids in the um, Cameron Hill Racing Toyota 86 um, two years ago, the youngest ever duo to finish a Bathurst Enduro, uh, youngest ever duo to finish a Bathurst Enduro, um, managed to get to the end of that race having changed an engine during the race. They literally chucked another engine in the 86 mid-race to get to the finish, and they finished, and that was just such a cool accomplishment. And they're the stories I love about this race, and the, the paddock's got such a cool vibe because of that, doesn't it? It does. Uh yeah. Cool entries too. There's a lot of uh, big names that are stepping up for their race. I mean, it used to be back in the day, oh, John Bowles racing. How cool is this? But now uh, every man, their dog's going out there, you know, SVG, Tim Slade, all these sort of cats. And a lot of, uh, you know, guys around the edge who are really handy steerers going to be out there having a go, which is, which is really cool. And it's good for these guys to be able to benchmark themselves. It's like, you're out there in your Suzuki Swift. You don't have big bucks, but you're racing against Shane Van Gisbergen. And that's something you can tell your grandkids about. The amazing thing about it is, is that the supercar version of the Bathurst 1000 has effectively become the Bathurst six hour as well. Two, wow, three years ago, the race was time. one in yeah. six hours and one minute. Yeah, there will be a day where that race takes less than six hours to complete. And oh, no doubt. You can never say about the six hour because it's it's always just over six <laughs> hours long. But no, you're right. Um, can I give you, Gent, some some little facty facts about the uh, the old B6HR? I've been we could say no, but you're going to do them anyway. So I am going to do it anyway. You literally don't have an option. So BMW has never been beaten in this race. They've won yeah. every single one of them. And they've finished first and second in three of the four. So that's a thing. They've been fastest... They've been fastest in qualifying for every one of them. Um, and they've started on pole. And it's a different thing because in 2016, the car that was fastest in qualifying got pinged uh, 10 grid positions for a turbo boost penalty, but another BMW was there to take its place. Um, did you know BMW have won their class on eight occasions? So four times outright and four other class wins. The only two other brands to win multiple classes are Holden with six and Toyota with four. And Twitter have never lost Class D. The, the old Twitter 86 came in at exactly the right time. Um, last year, now I was, I haven't done the research on this, but, and you may cast your mind back. So in 2019, and we've just had Beric on the show, Beric Linton and Tim Lay won the race. They did not lose the lead for the entire race. Mm. Literally led every single lap, even through the pit stop shuffle. And Beric talked about it, that they timed that safety car to perfection with that first stop and they were a lap up on the field for the rest of the day. Never lost the lead. I reckon it's the first time since Brock Richards 79 Tirana that anyone's had an unbroken stint leading from start to finish at Bathurst. Well, uh, one of the entries I really like is the first autonomous car to enter the Bathurst six hour, the BMW 335i of Peter O'Donnell. <laughs> it has done more laps yes. of that place than any other. It has to have. Mm. And one of the most successful too. It was a Bathurst 12-hour winner twice in, what was it, 2007, 2010. That's a long, yep. that's 14 years ago. And he's done as much racing around Bathurst as is humanly possible. So it's good to see that car out there. Actually, it's a, a really good thing that you bring up there, Richard, and, and it gives us an opportunity to compare the, the categories 
that year, that win of Linton and Lay back in 2019, 131 laps, the most laps done by a car in the six hour for 813 kilometres. That year in 2019, or actually 2020 Bathurst last year, mm. 1,000 kilometres was done in six hours and 10 minutes. Yeah. So it gives you an idea and the difference between a V8 supercar compared to the best BMW to win a six hour. Mm. Yeah. Absolutely. It shows you how hard they're driving these things. Like they're doing 22s in road cars with not even slick tyres. It's, um, well, it's yeah, pretty yeah. remarkable. And, and to put it in context, Mark, the last Bathurst 500, won by Brock, solo drive, 72, 130 laps. So cracked the 500 mile mark, which was pretty remarkable. You look back to the 12 hour when it was a production car race, a hot time in qualifying for them was about a 29. Mm. So it goes to show how much improvement, obviously there's more yeah. freedoms and the rules and different cars allowed in and these uh, BMW rocket ships out there. Um, the BMWs aren't perfect though. I mean, you, you talk about Bering Linton and Tim Lay the year before they had that race crushed and a, literally a wheel fell off. Yes. So it's nothing's a, an absolute given in this. You just need a, a little mix up with the traffic, nick a wheel and you'll have a busted wheel hub like it's, well, it's an easy thing to lose and and it's the little one percenters as well it, it's like emerging on a suzuki swift 30 literally 30 seconds a lap slower than you at a blind spot across the top of the mountain and zigging when you should have zagged it's the little tiny things like that 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 if you punch a swift into the fence it's going to damage your car and you're out little tiny stuff like that and like the speed differential is literally 30 seconds in race pace so by the time the field spreads on lap one, the leaders are starting to lap the back markers on lap three. <laughs> like, it's amazing. It's just ridiculous, isn't it? So from you get two and a half, three laps of clear air, and then you spend the rest of your life outside of safety cars dealing with traffic for the whole day. Yeah. And um, they're, they're the things that make or break this race. So, yeah, going to be really interesting. I, I loved Beric's comment in our chat just before. He said, when we finished the race, the right front brake pad had 0.002 mil of life left in it. Wasn't that amazing? It's just production car racing to a T, isn't it? Yeah. I love it. Oh, I remember when we used to roll up there to the 12-hour with the Subarus we used to run and the number of different ways that we lost that race due to absolute production car spec things that would go wrong with literally mm. wheels falling off in the last 20 minutes. Uh, you'd have any number of things that would happen. Like, remember that wet race in 2010? Uh, our particular car, we've, we finished very well, but we had a wheel fall off because in the wet, we never changed tyres. Mm. We just kept pounding around in the same tyres all day. So we never tensioned up the tyres. Yeah. And with all the stop-start with the uh, wet weather and the stoppages that they had, it wound up cracking the hub on those. So anything can happen, which is cool. And that's the reason why we're going to tune in. Uh, yep. The old, yeah. Google Wilson Brothers Racing Bathurst oh. 12 hour. What, what year was it? 2009? Oh, uh, well. 2009. Get, the just look for the first, first 30 lap highlight would probably do there. Yeah, and look, yeah. look down the bottom of the result sheet, I think. For, the, for those unfamiliar, um, cars out on lap uh, 34, 65 and 71. That far? Yeah, no, you got Jeez. 71 laps in for um, the Delsmore Wood Tierney car or Gary Tierney. Yeah. Yeah. Then but, I had to go to the medical centre. Yeah, because he had a fairly substantial accident. But yeah, mm. that, yeah, you were in the pub well before lunchtime that day. Anyway, oh, yeah, the, Chinese. Chinese oh, banquet too at the Rose Garden. Uh, the so. Rose, what a great restaurant. 
I'm yeah. just, uh, just so looking forward to going back and um, to Bathurst Restaurant. Anyway, that's the Bathurst Six Hour. Uh, we've talked enough about that. Great race. Really looking forward to it. Uh, it'll be live on your screens of Seven this weekend. The entire Bathurst Six Hour is live on Seven, mate, which is just outrageously good. Um, final TCR race on Sunday, followed by all of the Six Hour. So check that out. There's extended coverage on seven plus in the morning. And then there's coverage on mate and plus on Saturday throughout the day. I think there's about 15 hours of live TV coming from the mountain this weekend. So be sure to tune in. Uh, if you're listening overseas, motorsport.tv has the live streaming internationally. Sky Sports New Zealand has live coverage on their various channels across the ditch. Hey, so, uh, just before we wrap up the six hour, uh, hmm. You've had some close contact with this in the last 24 hours, of course, with the Queensland COVID yep. situation. What is the net result or possible net result of cars lost due to that? Uh, look, it's it's far from ideal. Uh, as we discussed, there have been no withdrawals to this point. Um, so the, we, we're fortunate, Shebex, with my PR cap on for the race, we're fortunate to be racing in New South Wales, um, a state that's done an outrageously good job of managing the various border closures. In fact, they haven't closed their borders at all, and they've been quite open about that. Um, there are alerts for those that have been in Greater Brisbane. Some people will be caught up, um, but there are um, there are travel disclaimers when you come into the state that you can fill out and exemptions and things like that. You've got to log where you've been in Brisbane. If you've been to one of the hotspot locations, obviously no go, Yep. but um, if you haven't, they're letting you run. So um, yeah, look, it, it's been a, a long week managing that because there's a lot of, turns out a lot of people go car racing in Brisbane and Queensland. Yes. So quite popular, um, which we love, but um, it will affect some people I'm sure. But at this point, full steam ahead, the race is happening. Um, and uh, hopefully our mates up north are out of lockdown by the weekend and they can enjoy it as well. Yeah, the AMRS series is up there in two weeks' time at Morgan Park, so it's going to be interesting to see how whether that carries over or not. <laughs> yeah. Well, what's that look there? Are they? Are they, Richard? <laughs> well, look, it's a rapidly changing situation. Look, it, yeah. it's not ideal timing, but we knew, we knew coming into 2021 this was going to be a thing. Right, this was something we were always going to have to manage at some point. Consistency, I spoke about on the first episode, consistency of program. Yeah, so, yeah, exactly, you mocked it. You absolutely (laughs) ruined it for us, Shebex. Go back and listen to episode one for that. No, look, it's, um, but we all knew it. It, Every event is operating with contingency plans. I guarantee you supercars have a plan to work around this drama in Queensland for Simmons Plains next weekend, and we'll cover that off in next week's show. Um. Look, everyone's gone into this with eyes wide open, knowing that these outbreaks can and will happen until we get everyone vaccinated at some point later this year, hopefully, if they can hurry hurry up with that. Um, So, yeah, anyway, political hat off. Um, We're managing it. It's being looked after, and I I think it will be – I think it will be all right. I'd probably – sorry, Shebex, I'm just going to edit the Rose Garden. A bit of MSG would knock it straight out. You'll be fine. Well, I I feel like Rose Garden one night, uh, Great Wall – Sunday yeah. night, obviously, after the race. And then mix it up with a bit of Jack Duggins and oh. possibly uh, Bathurst BX in the middle. And um, oh. and, the, and the Panthers club for a, uh, a disco on a Saturday night. Oh. Uh, well, and New South Wales are just relaxed. They're dancing and singing. Well, Shebex, so you, mate, <laughs> which allows me right freedom. on the freedom. dance floor. Right on it. Anyway, six hour live and free on the screens of seven in Australia this week. Fantastic yeah. stuff. Some supercar news. And great to see BJR, I think, have finalised all their Endurance spots now. Ash Walsh, 
Is yes. It, is this what you're talking about? In it was with, today. Uh, young Jack Smith, I hope I pronounced that correctly. Yeah, looking forward to that. Ashley's a, a pretty solid co-driver. He rolls in. My, Ash Walsh, the best thing I've ever seen Ash do was his shootout lap in the 12 hour. What was it? 18? 19. Maybe. I think it was 19 in the Aston Martin, the Mediki Stone hmm. Aston Martin. And uh, it was a second car out. And I think he made up like six spots in the shootout. Really, really good lap. He's a good steerer. Good season in Crow Cup a couple of years ago as well. And Dean Fiore gets to keep going around Bathurst with uh, his announcement with uh, Todd Hazelwood. Oh, okay. Excellent. Yeah. He's a, he's a super bloke, Dean. He's one of the sports nice guys. Been around for a while, hasn't he? He has. Not a few. Yep. Yep. There's made some interesting reading around the Fiore family and their history with supercars. It, it, un, it unveiled a few uh, little secrets of the business side of the sport in 2014, but um yeah, anyway, no, it's good to see Dino driving. He's a je- legitimately one of the sports nice blokes. So he and he and Todd together should be a good combo. Yeah. Did you uh were you surprised to see the uh the medical result on Shane Van Gisberg? And it wasn't just a broken collarbone, he also had three broken ribs as well. What's what's your excuse, Bex? You were saying that he couldn't yes, paint. I'm I mean, soft. I'm you obviously you need to you need your ribs broken to really figure out how easy it would be to go out there and win with a broken collarbone. Well, the broken ribs probably would have taken away the pain from the shoulder. But how's nature going trying to not make Van Gisbergen win this? They've <laughs> absolutely crushed his body. Now they're going to make his race car not race next weekend in Tasmania because of COVID. <laughs> they're trying absolutely everything to stop him from winning this thing. Uh, I, like I said last week, I think he'll race. I think they'll find a way. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm sure they will. Yeah, I, I just I think we should just reflect on the show that that Tony did say that uh, he wasn't going to race. There's, I think the chance was there's no chance in hell, Shebex. Or no, something I think that might have been that might have been it. Yeah, well, uh, can I just say that I would have liked to have been on the painkillers that he was on for that weekend? I reckon. <laughs> Elaborate. <laughs> are you fine or are you broken at the time? Uh, possibly broken. <laughs> Well, clearly they were Asada and Wada approved, so you know there was no no dramas with drug tests or anything like that. No, true. so but it's, it's remarkable, isn't it? Just go and win the best supercar race in the last decade with four broken ribs and a collarbone. Crazy. I struggled to get out of bed in the morning, frankly, and just yeah, it's outrageous. Hey, uh, great story on the race talk, boys, about uh, Sandown. Well, great, oh. great in terms of clickability. Yes, not great in terms of news, is it? Because this this is the most finite, um, finite full stop we've seen on this place, isn't it, Mark? And you you stumbled across this story today. It broke in the Melbourne um, mainstream media, and and like most things mainstream, it focused more on the horse racing track than it did the motorsport track. Yeah. But um, it looks like there's a a fairly finite full stop coming for Sandown. Well, we made a bit of an op-ed on the weekend about how Sandown's looking a bit tired and parts of it just look like it's had it and there's not a lot of – it's not the effort that goes into the facility. Like we mentioned the media centre. There was signage there for Schweppes Diet Cola, a product which was dis- discontinued 20 years ago. And just things like that around the edges that just make it look a bit tired. That's not the first time Schweppes has ever been said in the media centre. Schweppes. <laughs> Stop it. Uh, but, like, I went out and had a look at the Cardinia – uh, facility where they plan to build this replacement in inverted commas track. And it's just so close to suburbia out there. It is 1.2 kilometres as the crow flies to the closest house right at the moment. And there's housing coming right through there. I live out 
this way. And I'd absolutely love to see this track of Pakenham, but I just don't understand how they're going to get away with building one there right in the heart of a, an urban corridor like that. Sandown, the racetrack edge to the nearest house is 147.5 metres, but that house was built at the same time as the racetrack. They knew what they were getting into when they first moved in there, that there was a racetrack there and racetracks are going to be noisy. This modern day and age, the racetrack's not used very much. There's not many race days. What is it, four or five race days a year that they have there? Mm. So it's not a full active racetrack. You look at Queensland Raceway, they'll have four events on a given weekend making money for the place. You look at Sydney Motorsport Park, they've got lights in there. They're operating 24-7. Sandown's very infrequently used. You look at the horse racing side of things, in the month of April, they have one Monday afternoon meet for the whole thing. You think of this horse track, but the focus from the Melbourne Racing Club is Caulfield, and that's where the cash from Sandown will be pumped into Caulfield to uh, continue to improve that facility as their focus. And this Cranbourne just down the road, they've built a big training facility there. So a lot of the quarantine stuff that used to happen at Sandown for the Melbourne Cup and the Spring Racing Carnival, it's not applicable to Sandown anymore. Uh, the Melbourne Racing Club came out in the press today in the Fairfax media, or oh, I think they've scraped it off racing.com, in fact, was the fact that Sandown loses them $5 million a year to keep that place operating. And they're putting forward a proposal to build 7,500 houses on that block. Mm. That's incredible. The yeah. traffic jam trying to get out of there will oh. be like any race meeting. Well, it, but it's, it's <laughs> incredible. Bad. Yeah, it, it's bad with 5,000 people there for a, a supercar day on a Saturday or something like that. I mean, well, it's just at peak hour. De- Dandenong Road, the Princess Highway, is going to be a massive cluster. It's bad enough as it is. I'm just hoping that Jim Murcock gets to keep his driving standard school on the streets of the new facility. I can't see that happening either. Look, it's a big story, but but you can understand why the MRC want to do it because it's literally a billion-dollar deal for them. Like, it's yep. going to make them an enormous amount of money. An enormous amount of money, and and like it's it's a couple of thousand acres of prime real estate jammed in the middle of suburbia. When the big push in every city anywhere in the world is not expand outwards, but expand up and infill. So, yeah, yeah I mean it's remarkable that it's gone this long. But it, um, it's always it's always been on the cards, though, hasn't it? Has, it? It's not yeah, a well, shock. As long it's, as I've been going for it, yeah. no, hundred percent. No, this isn't this isn't a big. It, Shocking news story. It's not surprising. It's good that it's held on so long and hopefully we can drag a few more years out of it and a few more supercar mates out of it. But that water feature right in the middle, can you imagine having your tower overlooking Sandown Lakes? It's going to be fantastic. You're going to pay a premium to want to live near the lake in Sandown. Um, I saw that that the one interesting one is that the grandstand was heritage listed back in 2019. So I wonder if that's going to be a deal like Waverley, where they don't knock down the grandstand, they turn that into a community use facility. Say, well, and, well, they could put a football over in front of it and just play local community footy with that grandstand there. Well, I think the last time this was all floated, which was 2018, and there were some proposals floated around that, uh, ranging from restaurants where the corporate suites are, bars, and things like that, um, to putting a massive glass front down the whole front of it and using it as like a conference center and things like oh. that. So you could do all sorts of stuff with it. it. It would be very, very cool. And and it would also be a nice history reminder of the place, wouldn't it? And and you could do quite a cool little museum in there. There's not, God knows there's enough space where you could have a couple of cars on display and some photos and some memorabilia from the place. The only, I just Can we hope- flirt the idea now mm. 
honestly and, and seriously, if the MRC are listening to this now, the Melbourne Racing Club, please take heed. The streets of the, of the new uh, facility, what am I calling Suburb. it, the new development, mm. need to be named after previous Sandown Cup winners and Sandown 500 winners. Well, that would cool. make the most sense, wouldn't it? Um, and well, you'd hope that, like what they did, the Perich family did at Oran Park, um, well, um, and that's what the, the Perriches did at Oran Park. All the streets in the new suburb of Oran Park are named after winners or, and various luminaries that won at Oran Park. Yeah. Um, what I would love to see more is the original layout. You, you can't preserve it, obviously, but I don't know, do a linear park that follows the the track in most areas or something like that. So, uh, yeah, I, hopefully the heritage can be preserved because it is a a monumental part of Australian motor racing and, and Victoria motor racing in particular that dates back to the, to the early 1960s. And the last race meeting we have trucks and they just go out there and knock down the rest of the Armco. Yeah. Do the job just for the construction easier. company. Yep. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. Well, I just never need to fix it and you wouldn't get billed for tearing your Armco down. So happy days. And the other thing is they wouldn't have to try to do it because they do it anyway. Well, exactly right. Exactly right. So no, look, it, it will be sad for sure. And, and, Gee, it puts the pressure on on Victoria Motorsport, doesn't it? Because yes. with Calder sitting there rotting, Winton two hours up the ho- uh, the Hume, Phillip Island priced outrageously high for club level racing, so they can barely get on there, and two hours away, um, and this circuit down at Pakenham with a question mark over whether it will actually ever get off the ground. Um, and Albert Park happening once a year for four days, it puts a lot of pressure on the biggest motorsport market in the country. In an ideal world, I'd build Winton at Calder mm. or just ha- have Calder serviceable because it's yeah. so close. I know. It's and so close to home. But uh, zoned for motorsport. It could be rolled out perfectly tomorrow. What about Lang Lang? How, how about we go and do something down there? You've got a, a road network down there that's sort of the basis of something that you could build upon. Well, that's been bought by Vinfast. Yeah. Who are Vietnamese car company who took over a lot of Holden's design assets here in Australia as well and their design office. Uh, so, yeah, that'd be amazing. I, I noticed that they're doing a lot of ADR testing down there for various trucks and cars and different things. So mm. it's it's active and it's been opened up for things that aren't Holden's, which is good to see. Mm. Maybe we could have uh, supercars at Avalon just to give us a little bit of uh, there's been so many car action we've, we've already mentioned it in the story last year the number of tracks that have been mentioned for geelong or avalon yeah. it's huge there's been heaps of them mentioned but uh, so do you remember the cleveland burke lakefront airport IndyCar yep. race oh, do it. Well, imagine that supercars at avalon that would be just awesome and they, they've got track record for shutting that place down because they run the australian international air show there for four days a year yeah. and close the joint for anything but air show traffic anyway so what about point cook well, yeah, it's pretty suburban now, unfortunately. Who cares? Do it. <laughs> well, I think it happens every Saturday night already anyway. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it probably does. It's not far from your place, Shebex, No, not it? far at all. Where were you uh, Saturday night? Did you get up at all at 2 o'clock in the morning to watch the Grand Prix? No, I didn't. I watched the highlights back the following morning. Good race. I, I was fortunate enough to get up at 3 o'clock in the morning to ice my knee. So watch the last half an hour. We should just elaborate if you're joining the show for the first time. I did have a knee uh, replacement yeah. six weeks ago. Yeah, this this isn't some kind of weird no, no, no. Satanistic ritual that Shebex gets up to every <laughs> night. <laughs> no. But, no, look, uh, good 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 race, good start. Um 
Uh, do you know what blew my mind was that at the time you were up icing your knee, yeah. 76,000 people were watching that on it's Fox Sports Live. It's yeah. the second highest rated show on digital subscription TV that day on Monday, wow. and it was at 2 o'clock in the morning. 76,000 people used COVID rules to work from home Monday. Yeah, correct. Incredible. Exactly. Yeah, the precedent's been set. i tell you what I got into was the uh, dirt race at Bristol with the trucks and the NASCAR Cup over there. Yeah, that was cool. That's something different, and uh, I think it was pretty positive. I, it was an absolute cluster like some people thought it was going to be, and at portions of the weekend, uh, right at the start of the, the truck heats when they got rained out, it was an absolute cluster. The the track mudded up and the cars couldn't see anything and it was a mess. But uh, come Sunday or Monday, their time, Tuesday morning, Australia time, they, they got it done and I think it was a pretty reasonable show. Yeah. What, I tire, they, what tire are they running on the dirt track? About four seconds a lap slower no, than tire. Normally... What tire are oh, they tire. running? Uh, a groove speedway yeah. style tire. No, bass, bass ply tires. The first time they've used bass ply tires in like 40 years. Wow. Which is interesting. Um, yeah, it would look great. And they announced during the final stage in the run to the finish that it's back next year. So they are going to run it again, which is really cool. And with the benefit of 12 months worth of learning and knowledge, it's a great thing. And yeah, NASCAR's doing some cool stuff at the moment, Mark, like the, expanding into more road courses. And their road course product's always been tremendously entertaining because the cars yeah. are rubbish. So they make great road course racing cars. Um, the irony is the cars actually aren't that bad anymore. But yeah, um, yeah I, and this was a really cool innovation that worked really, really well. It's a shame it got rained off from its original time because it probably won't draw the numbers that it was supposed to on TV-wise, the, the originally scheduled time. What I did like was Mark's comment on our group chat to say that he could probably win that race. And I think that's <laughs> testament of the fact of just how good a season NASCAR is in regards to the number of winners that they have had. Seven. Uh, narrator, Mark was wrong. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> turns out it was a race of high skill and uh, great battling. Yeah, seven different winners from seven races. Very, very cool. No, lots to like. Um, Scott McLaughlin goes IndyCar testing for these in the car every week for the next five weeks, I think wow. he said. So um, building up to the opening round of their championship at St. Pete, we're all really keen to see how – Young Scotty goes in his full-time IndyCar debut. So uh, once we get the six-hour bowled over, we can get stuck into that, see what happens with Simmons Plains next weekend um, for more supercar action because that's just been fantastic so far. And, yeah, lots going on. Happy Easter to everyone. And if you're not an Easter supporter, happy Festivus or whatever you may if Enjoy you're an Easter supporter. It's, this isn't like <laughs> Melbourne versus Collingwood. If you're not a Collingwood supporter, you can bugger no. off. <laughs> Happy four day weekend. Yeah, Free exactly. Weekend. Enjoy the public, the public Who cares holidays. About Easter? Exactly. It's all about public holidays. Exactly. Uh, catch you next week, boys. Thanks, boys. Battle six right. hour, live and free on the screen to seven. Tune in. Thank you for joining us. We'll catch you again soon, right here on the grid.